go. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, I'm your one of your regular hosts, Nigeria's Best on Twitter, joined by my other uh, co-host at Phoenix Agenda on Twitter. And today we have a special guest. Her Twitter handle is one next, which is number one, then N-E-K-S. One next is a law lecturer, law lecturer with a PhD. So she's, she's highly, highly qualified and uh, very, very intelligent. A very, uh, her analysis on Twitter is always, always very, very good. So firstly, it's a pleasure to have you, Phoenix, here again, and also a pleasure to have you one next. It's very great, uh, very great to join the platform today. I think it's a great platform doing great stuff. Um, so it's obviously a very good privilege to speak on very interesting issues today. So oh, thank you, One Next. Uh, Phoenix, once again, you've not thanked me for. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, uh, Nigeria's Best, again for, for this week. And, and thanks, One Next, for joining us. Okay. So, on to our first uh, topic. We're going to be discussing APC politics again that has now moved to the national level. So, last week, uh, President Buhari uh, reappeared to call a meeting of the National Executive Committee of the APC. And this happened because there were conflicting court orders as to who was the chairman of the party. And Buhari decided that Victor Giadom, I think of River State, should be the authentic uh, chairman based on the legal advice he claims he received. They held a meeting where it was, uh, we don't even see, the meeting was held in Asura. But we initially told it was going to be via Zoom. And everybody was looking for the Zoom details. And then suddenly, they seemed to hold the meeting in person in Nassau Rock. And we don't even seem to know what was discussed. But Buhari just made an announcement that the National Working Committee had been dissolved and a new acting chairman or caretaker chairman would be appointed. And that's the governor of Yobe State, Governor Buni. And that triggered a lot of uh, noise on uh, Twitter and the general uh, political community because there's concerns that it means Bola Tinubu, who obviously is allied with Oshiomoli, has lost out, and some governors led by Amechi and Fayemi now have the upper hand. So, uh, firstly, to you, uh, Phoenix, what did you make of uh, Buhari's uh, sudden appearance, and what did you think was behind his decision to back the uh, Victor Giadom uh, faction? Uh, it was quite interesting, uh, um, the, the turn of events, because it seemed very Maradona-ex to me. I mean, <laughs> it was quite strange to see that coming from Buhari. Because one thing he, he did was he, he acknowledged Giadom, and then, of course, Giadom, that enabled Giadom to call the meeting, because only a national chairman can call their, their uh, NEC meeting. So, and then at the NEC meeting, <laughs> of course, they dissolved the NWC, which then automatically removes Giadom from the um, the acting chairmanship, which then opened the door for them to appoint uh, Mai Buni as as a, as a chairman. So for me, I mean, and when I look at who's now taking key positions and what they're doing, it seems like Bari is flexing his own CPC muscle and and trying to take over the party machinery, which. Is interesting because he always never seemed to be interested in 
party shenanigans. He always wanted to stand aloof and to say, look, I'm here, I'm the president. You guys can do whatever you want. Tinubu was calling himself national leader, even though there's no office of national leader in the party. And you know, guys were just generally creating their own five doms. And then all of a sudden, a year into his second term, perhaps with an eye on his legacy, if that's the, the idea, the man now seems to want to have proper control of the party. And we'll see where that takes them. But, but it, for me, it's just a very obvious fact that this was, I mean, people have always called it an SVP and I totally agree that it was a special purpose vehicle to take, to take power by um, strange bedfellows who got together to, look, let's just get power first before we sort out whether we agree with each other or not. And so it, it, we always knew that, look, this implosion was likely to happen. They seemed to manage to survive the first four years, but now it seems mm. on the cards. So now we'll see between now and 2023 how it evolves. So I'll, I was going to uh, bring in one next other point because there's obviously two factions in the party and people initially thought uh, Bola Tinubu's faction had the upper hand because Oshiomole was loyal to him. I suppose the, the question, what I'm trying to get your thoughts on is now that uh, Oshiomole is out of the way, do, do you think Bola Tinubu still has a good chance of getting the party's ticket and becoming president? It's, it, it's, it's very interesting in the sense that um, it's very clear that everything we see happening right now is foreshadowing a bigger battle in 2023, whoever's going to get the ticket. Yeah. Now, while it does so, this um, new acting chairman, or this Victor Gerdum, Definitely has a very, very, um, a very close relationship with Rotimi Amici. Yeah. He was the, he, he would have been the, on the ticket to Tony Eko for the, for the River State elections. He served as Amici, one of Amici's commissioners during his tenure as governor. Oh. Yes, he did. So it's very clear. So in, 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 in the, the brother picture, it, it does seem there's, there's this, Tussle between two two camps, the Tinubu Oshomile camp, the Amechi Erufai camp, and with Yadom emerging victorious in in the short term right now, it does seem like the Amechi camp has has an upper hand. Now, politics is obviously a long game. It's just 2020. We have at least two years before a flag bearer will emerge. Anything can happen during this time. Now, looking at the event right now, it looks very bad for, for Bola Tinubu. But I wouldn't write him off yet. Whether I think he will get the ticket is a different issue. I don't think he will get the ticket. But I think that we, we will see more politicking, more controversy before 2022. Um, with Buhari um, attending the meeting of the NEC, he has openly endorsed Gerdom as, as, as the chairman. And that's going to definitely have certain implications. I think many people are waiting to see what happens in the Edo election to decide where the pendulum seems to be swinging. We need to also remember that um, a couple of chaps have gone to the courts in, in Potakot where they have seemingly suspended Gyadom from his membership of the party. But, but I thought the... The, one of the things they did was they agreed, uh, Buhari said everybody had to withdraw all their 
court uh, cases or all the suits that evolved institutions, I think they've all agreed to withdraw them. And if that's the case, the follow-up question then becomes, obviously, as you said, it's a battle between uh, Tinubu's camp and the El Rufai Michi camp. So yeah. I suppose the full-on question then is, if you had to choose, who would you choose? Would you go with a president of Mechi or a president of Tinubu? <laughs> None. It's, it's, the, I, I, I think it's a two, two bad candidates. And um, I would be looking at an alternative um, flag be represented by another party. I would not support Tinubu because I'm not quite impressed. So if, the, the thing is, if you're going to support a candidate, you need to look at their um, antecedents. Tinubu is a very yeah. strong regional leader. So you need to look, at least, let's look at Lagos State, for instance. Um, yeah. he, from the things that I read, I don't think he would be the best person to lead Nigeria nationally. Um, um, the, probably the same thing we wrote to Miyamichi. I'm not very sure what he stands for. At least before 2015, I would have said Tinubu stood for restructuring. I don't believe he stands for that anymore. I think it was just probably opportunism. But at least at that point, I would have said he stands for restructuring. I think this is what he would do. For Rutimi Amici, I cannot particularly point to any ideology or whatever he would represent. I would be very unlikely to support a candidate that I don't know what they stand for. Doesn't like well, to be, to be fair, I don't think Rutimi himself even knows what he stands for. So I don't, I don't, I don't blame you. I don't think he knows what, what he stands for. This was, so back to uh, uh, Phoenix. Uh, one next has said that politics at this stage is too early. So she says she doesn't, although Tinubu might be down, she doesn't think he's, he's necessarily out because we still have up to 2022. Do you agree or do you think uh, the game is over for him? No, I, I'm, I, I'm inclined to agree. I, I, think, I think as much as I think he has next to no chance, I, I would never say never. I mean, this is Nigeria we're talking about and who knows what can happen uh, um, tomorrow and, and all the all the political permutations and all the gaming and everything that they're doing. Uh, this is someone that has significant resources. Um, and unless Buhari decides to go all out war on Tinumbu, you can't rule him out. It's only Buhari that can take him off the table by trying to use the instrument of state to really put him down and stamp him out. But until he does that, he's, he will still be in play. Um, but well, if you ask me, I would say no, because there, there are too many roadblocks ahead of him. I think one next made a very vital point. He is a regional leader. And for me, that kind of person, you might say, yes, Buari too was a regional leader, but he played his cards right and got other people to support him. I'm, I'm not sure I can see Tinubu getting that same coalition to make him get a national result. I, I don't see how he would do it. No, I, I think like... Uh... I think both both of you have uh, made valid points. Uh, I, I think I agree. It's it's too soon to predict what will happen to Tinubu. And also, yes, the challenge is he's a regional leader and he needs to uh, broaden his his base. I suppose the, there's one other question I was going to ask uh, one next because I know obviously you're you're a law lecturer and you've been called to the Nigerian bar because I'm trying to understand. In this uh, battle, they've been getting 
injunctions, counter injunctions. In fact, uh, Tinubu's uh, statement actually said he would need a spreadsheet to be able to count the number of lawsuits that have been filed left, right, and center. And I'm trying to work out, is, is that how it happens in Nigeria? Aren't judges supposed to be saying, look, this case has already been heard in Port Harcourt, so I'm not getting involved. How can people be getting contrary court orders from the same courts in different parts of the country? Uh, it, it, this is a very interesting question because um, I think, in, in, in my opinion, it's a huge indictment on judiciary. It calls for some sort of um, um, introspection on the bench, on, on the side of the bench. Because it's, it's, not just a, it's not just a problem that has arisen today. For as far back as I can remember, um, at least since 1999, we, we've had this problem where there are multiple cases in different courts. There are multiple judgments. You will find cases where two weeks before an election, no one is sure who the party's candidate is because somebody is, has instituted a case somewhere. Now, it's just very, very clear abuse of court process. Very, very clear abuse of court process. It's, and judiciary seems to be turning a blind, blind eye. And personally, I, I think we need to start, we also need to start to discipline lawyers. We also need to start to discipline judges. Because yeah, so we, when, you're, when you're instituting multiple suits in different places, when you are getting interim, suspicious interim orders, because uh, sometimes you, you hear about a, a politician getting an order and it seems a motion was filed just the day before and then the next day there's an order. It's very, very suspicious. And it's, it's casting, it's, it, it, it brings a lot of reputational damage to the judiciary because it almost feels that you can go to any court and then you can buy a court order at any point which destabilizes the democratic system. Because we need to remember the courts are very central to maintaining the balance in, in, in our democracy. And when you, oh, see, and when, when you see a single case, having four or five cases on the same issue, instituted in multiple courts in different jurisdictions, it's, it's, it's very, very problematic. No, I, I, quite, I quite agree. And uh, funny enough, it, it takes us to the next topic, because we were, uh, I wanted to talk about the Nigerian Bar Association upcoming elections. And ordinarily, this would not be a topic for Nigeria Politics Weekly, but the reality is in Nigeria, the NBA president is a very political position because the country always looks to the president of the NBA to challenge the government on respect for the rule of law and just uh, general. Uh, good democratic uh, behavior. So the NBA president is almost like an opposition leader. So it's one of the reasons why we're having to discuss this topic. And one of the reasons why it's even relevant now is because since Buhari came into office, the NBA seems to have uh, lost its bite. In fact, there was one of your, uh, when I mean your, one next, you're obviously a member, member of the bar, so I'm, I'm holding you responsible. But there was one of your annual meetings where Buhari came there and actually insulted the judiciary, talked about how uh, he doesn't fully re respect the rule of law and your colleagues were clapping and cheering. So that's the, 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 the subtext to this yeah. conversation. But the issue for today is the fact that 
one of the senior ad advocates of Nigeria. I think his name is Boega uh, Awomolo. Awolomo, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> I may do my pronunciation. I think it's Awomolo. Awolomo. Yes. yes. He wrote a letter to his fellow senior advocates claiming that uh, junior lawyers, who obviously not senior advocates, are trying to take over the bar. And the bar is supposed to be for only, or leadership of the bar is only for the exclusive group. So, uh, first question, one next. What, what, what did you think when you saw the letter? I thought it was an interesting letter and I'm very surprised that it got in, into the hands of the public. But what I would say is that there are parts of the letter that, um, that are quite telling. Now in the letter, he refers to um, in 1992 to 1998 MBA crisis. It therefore shows that there is, a, there is a historical context for what's going on right now. Um, you, you, as with every organization, you will need to remember that there's, there's the conservatives who think things should go on in a certain way. The MBA has a certain role. And you have the more radical people. Now, he's made reference to the 1992 um, crisis. Now, as you said, the MBA has always been a very um, important professional association that has spoken out for Nigerians, particularly when, we have, when, when we're under the military. Now, as far back as 1987, we had um, a very vibrant NBA president, Alao um, Akaba Shurum, who, who was the yeah. thorn in the flesh of, of the military. Now, when Buhari, in Buhari's first coming as, as, as a military president, he'd put in the special military tribunals, the NBA had boycotted that, and he had, the NBA had really been a thorn in their flesh. Now, when IBB became president, he, as the smart political Maradona that he was, what he decided to do was to, to take a different approach. And this approach was, I will make donations to professional bodies and trade unions and sort of put them in a position where they cannot criticize me. Now, with regards to the MBA, what um, IBB did was, was quite smart. During his tenure, there were about three um, presidents of the MBA. Two of them had been appointed to become attorney generals. Now, in 1991, one of the SANs, Clement was he won the MBA presidency. Shortly after, he was made um, the attorney general of the Federation. It therefore meant that the vice president at the time, Mrs. Priscilla Kouye, would take over as, as president of, of the bar. Now she's been, she was the first female president, the only female president actually to lead the bar. Now she was very, very, very radical, very vibrant, and was very ready to take on the establishment. That's the, the military government. Now at the time, Beko Ransom Kuti, Femi Falano, um, Baba Omojola had been arrested. And we had people like Ghani and leading a couple of lawyers to file for, um, for leave to enforce their fundamental human rights. Just before the yeah. hearing, the government had arrested them. And you had Priscilla Kouye saying, look, the NBA is going to boycott the courts. We will not render our services unless you produce these people and release them. And for the very first time, we had the Attorney General, who was just the past NBA president, Mr. Akpambo SAF, taking the NBA to court. He was suing in the name of the, well, in the, name of the Attorney General representing the, the NBA. And the, the government won and the lawyers had to go back to court. But then the relationship was very, very strained. And that's where things get interesting. Now, when the next elections came, um, Mrs. Kouye was, was the incumbent president was going to contest. And her main challenger was um, Bashir Dalhatu, who had served as minister for transport under um, Abacha. Yeah. He was a kind of based legal practitioner at the time. Now there was, 
it became clear that there was a divide. We had a couple of lawyers, the old guard, who were not comfortable with how radical Mrs. Kuye was engaging with the government. They did not think she should have been that confrontational. You also had the people who were supporting Mrs. Kuye. This is what the MBA should stand for. Mrs. Kuye is doing exactly what we liked about Akaba Sharun. She's fighting with a very strong voice. Now, you yeah. had those people who were very uncomfortable with um, Dal Hatu because they thought he was being funded by the government. And this is also against the backdrop that the, the Adamawa governor at the time, Michika, had made a statement saying the MBA, it's time for a northerner to lead the MBA. So at that conference, there was a bit of a bit of fighting. It was a very controversial conference. How we ended actually was with people like Femi Falano going to court to get an interim order where the court says, you will not hold an election. You will not remove anybody from the MBA's executive committee. And what happened after is the IBB's government passes um, um, a decree where they dissolve the MBA executive committee. The MBA goes to court and to challenge the dissolution. But what happened was you had this period between 1992 and 1998 where there was no MBA president nationally. So the MBA, oh, was, yes, the MBA was only functioning at, at, at branch level. Now, so bringing it back, so that's the, his, that's, the, that's the historical context for some of the statements being alluded to in that letter. So bringing it back, um, one of the candidates, Olumide Akpata, seems to be very popular with the younger people. And you have to understand that for many young members of the bar, they have felt very disappointed with the seniors. Now, for many reasons, an example is where you said um, Buhari had gone to the MBA conference just after the doors of judges had been broken down at night and disparaged rule of law. And you had your seniors clapping, no one really saying anything. We had yeah. the whole issue with Onogen. And to our greatest surprise, members of the senior bar did not think, or some of them actually came out to express support for Buhari's actions. Now, whatever their motives are, with obviously, I can't read mine, so I can't explain what the motives would have been. But they came out and some supported the, 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 the government. Now, for many juniors, the expectation would have been the MBA should have one single voice. It should be a strong voice condemning the government, particularly at a time when the government was not obeying court orders. They did not get that. Now, and the juniors are also concerned about their welfare. Um, as, as you would see from conversations on Twitter, the pay for lawyers is terrible. It's not very good. People feel that they are being excluded by the seniors. They are not being paid properly. They are being exploited. And you have this new, um, this new person, Mr. Pata, who's, who appears to understand and feel their pain, who appears to, 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 to project the understanding um, of what the true role of the NBA should be. And you have, yeah. you have the old guard who think, look, while we understand that certain things should be done, we don't want to go that, down, that road that led to crisis in 1992. I think so are you saying... So for what you, you seem to be saying, you seem to be implying that if the vote were to take place, you would vote for Olumide Apata. Is that correct? I, now I have a problem with protest votes for the sake of protest votes. Because I do, I've seen many tweets on Twitter and there's quite a lot of young lawyers saying, I didn't think very much about these elections, but I'm going to vote. And I am going to vote for Mr. Apata based on this letter. I think 
people need to remember that we are trying to do the best for the profession and therefore the best man should win. I'll be honest in saying I, I haven't carefully scrutinized what the other candidates are saying. And I would on principle not vote a candidate simply because, I, because I'm angry at somebody else. That, I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, but he does, so I don't practice in Nigeria anymore. But when I talk to my friends who practice, he does seem very popular. And if this is the popular person, because we need to go back to the NBA constitution, it's, it's very clear. There's no requirement for a candidate to be a senior advocate of Nigeria. A similar um, proposal had been made and had been rejected in the past. The, 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 the electoral committee of the NBA, their requirements are very clear. You have to be someone who's at least been 15 years post-call. You have to have met your financial um, commitments to the MBA. Um, you have to be a person of good standing. You have to have, it's, the, the requirements are very clear. There's no requirement that says you have to be a senior advocate of Nigeria. It's, that, that would be rather exclusionary. Mr. Akwata, and the requirements say 15 years post-call. Anyone who's 15 years post-call it's definitely qualified to run for 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 president. Or for well, you you sound to be like you're you're hedging. So you're saying you you do, you you like what you hear about Bata, but you're not sure. I suppose because at this stage I have to bring in uh, uh, Phoenix to ask uh, Phoenix of all the candidates you've seen. If if you had to pick one, I know you're not you're not you're not learning as the lawyers like to say. But, <laughs> If if you had to pick one, Felix, who would you pick? Would you go with uh, Akbata as well? I'm not sure yet because I haven't I haven't seen what the other person is talking about, and and I think I agree with her. Uh, most of what I've seen on Twitter too has have been protest votes saying, "Look, this guy wrote this stuff, and therefore we're all swinging one way." And I think people really need to into yes, let's call out what Awumola wrote and. I, I totally disagree with it. Even without knowing the NBA constitution doesn't speak to that. I mean, anything, any, I always say it, anytime you need to subvert a process by bringing something external and trying to appeal to emotion, you should already know that your position is wrong. So <laughs> that letter for me made zero sense. Um, but I do agree that people need to then look at what kind of MBA do they want for the future and who who stands to give them the best for that um and i think for me i look at the mba because I, I i i mean i have a lot of lawyers in my family some very well celebrated and i've always looked at law at the, the legal profession as something that is i mean placed on a higher level than any other and also because of some of the things that one next alluded to the role that the MBA and, and legal practitioners have played in bringing about democracy from the time we had the military, it was always lawyers. I mean, the Unisad Bakobas, the Ganifawemis, the Femi Falanos, of, of course, I, I mean, some of the things that Femi Falanos has done later on <laughs> upsets me, but at least, I mean, you can, I mean, you can just allow Akabashi, all of those guys, they were always lawyers and they were at the forefront of, you know, of this fight. And so for me to then have had an MBA during Buhari's time that has been muted, muted because its leadership was, was from the very start put under a cloud 
because of the, of course, I mean, we all know the case against Paul Usora is still out there. And I'm sure that's why they lost their teeth. To my mind, that, that's what has happened. And so all these things that we talk about have, as a judiciary being uh, dumbed down and, and, you know, attacking judges in their homes, the NBA just stood as a silent bystander. So for me, as an outsider, that's what I want of the new of the NBA going forward. I want an NBA that is vibrant, that is alive to his responsibility, that is willing to and able to speak truth to power, that, that would do all those things to put the NBA back to where it needs to be, while also taking care of some of the welfare concerns that they've talked about. Because I'm, I'm always a numbers person. I go and check and I say I, I was looking at numbers and they took, and I found out that we have about 125,000 lawyers. And at the end of the day, you don't have up to 600 SAN. So it, it cannot be that the profession is only set up to take care of less than, what, 1%, 0.5% of the population. So for me, it, it has to be an NBA that thinks first about the country and tries to make sure that things go well uh, and tries to re ensure that there's a revamp of the judiciary because of all the ills that we are seeing but also one that is inward looking and is, that takes care of its own people and make sure that uh, there's fairness and equity for all. Well, I, I quite, I think I, I, I agree. I think I've looked at all the candidates. My preference is uh, uh, Dr. Babatunde Ajibade. He's obviously a Sam, but in terms of his education, the policies he's pushing, he wants to hold the government to account. He wants to professionalize the bar and he, he intends to take care of the welfare of the poorer people. But I think we also studied at the same uh, university for our masters. So uh, I think that's what's that most strongly for me. I wish anywhere I see an alumnus of my university, I tend to, to support well, except for the only person who went to my uni who I'm not happy, apart from uh, Fire Me, Fire Me is the only person who is giving uh, King's College London a, a bad name, if I may say so. But aside from that, uh, I support all the others. Anyway, on to our final uh, topic because of time. Uh, COVID-19 deaths uh, seem to be on the rise. Uh, the numbers are going up. And in fact, today it was announced that the chief judge of Kogi State, Nasir Ajana, uh, is dead. If you remember, Kogi is one of the states where the governor, Yaya Bello, is in denial. You know, remember he made that video where he put on this weird American accent and said, I ain't got no COVID. And, and even, it took me, I had to listen to that video like three, four times before I could understand what on earth he was talking about. But yes, so Kogi state governor died in Abuja. Then on Thursday, the former governor of Oyo State died from uh, COVID-19 in Lagos. So I suppose the, the first question to one next is, obviously our condolences to the families of, of those who have lost loved ones, but this idea of Chief Judge of Kogi dying in Abuja, former governor of Oyo dying in Lagos, is it that in across Nigeria, the, the, only Lagos and Abuja have good hospitals? I'm not even sure. But so when when you even say good, what, what would you what would you define as good? Because I'm I'm not sure our health centers would particularly stand the test of scrutiny in, in that kind of qualitative sense. Now, um, it, it, 
it's sort of, I, I, without sounding insensitive, it almost feels like it's, um, it's judgment day. In the sense that we, we've had leaders who have, for instance, in all your states, you, you've had a person who's been a senator, you have a person who's been um, a two-term governor. And during this time, with such influence, with such access to state resources and power, the person has not been able to, um, to equip health centers in the states to the extent that there's nothing available for him, even in, in, in his ill health. And I, I can understand for, for many Nigerian politicians, it doesn't really matter. When they fall ill, they travel. Our president is, is I mean, he's one of the greatest medical tourists of all time. <laughs> So you understand that for them, it's, they are insulated from the mess that they create. Either yeah. in the health sector, in the, in the education sector, in the security sector. Their children do study in Nigeria. They don't see their doctors in Nigeria. It doesn't matter. COVID is one of the, it's, it's one of the first incidents of Nigerian politicians having to face the reality of their of, of, of their inadequacies, of, of the very bad governance that they have meted out to Nigerians. Now, for me and, and, and COVID, what I wonder is if there will be any lessons learned going forward. I'm very, and it's, it's, I'm not very optimistic. Now, yeah. we, we've had a couple of months, at, at least since March, when the whole COVID issue has escalated very greatly around the world. I have not seen any major commitments made by the federal government or state government to improving, improving health, the, the health sector. We have uh, medical practitioners who are going to go on strike. We've had people complain about the hazard allowance. Nobody seems to care. And as with everything else in Nigeria, when chaos comes, our, the approach of our politicians is let's wait, this, let's wait it out and then we can continue as normal. So for many people, I've seen many tweets with people saying, um, hopefully the government is going to finally learn and is going to invest some money into the healthcare sector. It will not do it. What no, I, I, I think I, I quite, uh, I, I, I sympathize, I'm sympathetic to your point because uh, on, a, on a general level, I think, yes, it's quite uh, sad that prominent people are dying and they're having to be sent to Abuja and Lagos. So what that means is, if you if you don't have that level of, uh, in quotations, prominence, then you're left to suffer the poor healthcare in the state where you're ill. So if you're ill in Kogi State, they put you in hospital in a clinic in Kogi. It's only if you're a governor or a minister that they send you from Kogi to Abuja. I suppose the the, the question for uh, Phoenix is, what what really is going on? Is is it that expensive to build? basic because i know okay world-class hospital of maybe american or british standard that will cost millions of dollars but i'm sure it can't is it that expensive to just build at least a, a nice building put some clean beds put some of the basic stuff that you're expecting a, in a normal hospital is it, is it is it that difficult i don't think it's difficult it's, it's just as one next said it's a, it's a question of priorities um, and the fact that they, they are insulated or were always insulated from having to access healthcare locally, that they just did not care. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i talking about all the leaders that we've had, but because think about it, there are a lot of 
I mean, almost every state has um, government hospitals that are supposed to be specialist centers, but they're not, they're not properly equipped and the people are not sufficiently trained. So they're just shells. And that's why when you get to a crisis like this, they begin to run to, um, to private establishments. I mean, most of these people that we've heard have died, have died in, in private hospitals. Um, you have it, the National Hospital in Abuja. You have, I mean, around, around the country, there are all these different centers. It's not expensive. It's not hard for you to have a pro at least one properly functioning specialist, I mean, high-level hospital, at least one in every state in Nigeria. It's not, yeah. it, it's not rocket science to be able to do that. But these guys do not care. And for me, it brings me to the point that is on my mind now because, I mean, I've been ranting on about this COVID thing and the way it worries me and the, and the lack of response and the lack of preparedness, which speaks to not having enough health, health um, care um, facilities to deal with this. Because that was always my problem. It wasn't that I thought um, COVID was that fatal, that it would kill everyone. It was always the fact that a lot of people will fall sick and we just did not have enough to take care of everybody, which would then catalyze into bigger problems. But for me, Nigerians must come out of this. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm thinking of how do we, how do we steer that collective um, consciousness amongst all of us where we need to start having longer memories. That's one problem that I see in Nigeria. We don't, we're not angry for long enough. Maybe the one, the one thing that I see we are angry for long enough is, is and, and that's a particular people. It's, 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 it's the Igbo people and, and, their, and, and, and that Biafra issue. But that, that's not what we're talking about. I, we need to be angry for long enough so, such that at some point in time, people, there will be consequences for these leaders that have done wrong. So a Yaya Bello who's been claiming that there's nothing wrong in Kogi State, at some point in time in the future, he should pay for it. There must be, I mean, I'm hoping that, I mean, Nigeria will not continue to flounder forever, but then at some point we'll have a good government who can then look back and probe all of these people, the way they handled this kind of crisis and led to deaths of people, of Nigerians, simply by negligence and inability to respond effectively. There has to be outrage and there has to be that having memories to to deal with and, and put consequences in place so that leaders learn and from there that's how you will get things to work because the way things ha are now because they because they know nothing will happen they will continue to do the same COVID no, i think uh, go but they will not go back and start building the hospitals nothing will change no i think i i i quite agree that there has to be consequences especially for the governors who are actually denying that COVID 19 exists you have uh or in their state anyway, you have Yaya Bello, you have uh, Ayade in the Cross River. So it's quite, uh, it's quite tragic that uh, people both high and mighty and ordinary Nigerians are all uh, losing their lives. So it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not good. But uh, our time is up. Uh, so first of all, I must once again thank you, One Next, for taking time out of your busy schedule to... <laughs> take part in the podcast. I must also thank you, Phoenix, for your continued participation. And I thank you, the listeners, for always listening and giving us helpful feedback. So until next week, I say have a good week. Thank you, one next for joining us. Really, really was a great time having you here.
Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It was lovely to speak on very, very interesting issues. Fantastic. We look forward to having you again soon. Thank you to our listeners. Bye, everyone. Bye.